a listener exclusive. From the Penguin Parade at Phillip Island to that new building development in the middle of Warrigal, this is Talking Gippsland with Ed Cowlishaw. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Gippsland. In today's episode, we're talking all things footy, local footy, pathways being created for our juniors, both boys and girls, to play at the very highest level they possibly can. Rep McLennan heads up the Gippsland Power Boys program, and we talk about his role, but also his journey himself through his junior days and how it has shaped him as a coach at Gippsland Power. Sit back, relax, and enjoy some footy talk here on Talking Gippsland. Mate, great to catch up with you. Uh, it's It's been an incredible journey for your career, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. But I wanted to just know how it all started with the oval ball. Was football your first passion when it came to sport? And how did it get going? 110% it was. So uh, I grew up in a little town called Nullable, which is about two hours north of Bendigo. And... Uh, there, football is like oxygen. Uh, if you don't play football, and you're, uh, it's it's very very hard for you to actually converse and and connect with the community. And uh, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And I was with a um, my family was very young, so Mum was very young when she had me. She was seventeen, and um, yeah, and we just gravitated to to the football. And I was there whenever I possibly could. And the first thing I ever drew was a football ground and football players and. Then we actually um, we moved up north when I was young, and uh, yeah, and then grew up on the Sunshine Coast, which is probably the opposite of uh, of rural uh, Victoria. And uh, yeah, the passion still stayed for it there, and yeah, it's just been one of those things that um, yeah, it's just been an incredible passion in my life. And most of the really good things that have happened in my life has actually been due to football and the great people I've met with it. Can you remember the first time you? put your hands on a Sharon or one of those old plastic ones which were really hard on either side and hurt your foot. Can you can you remember that? I can't re- I can't remember it because I would have been touching touching the footy before I could re- allowed to remember. But uh, I do remember that you know at times when we when we were travelling or 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 my mother and father were in between jobs when I didn't have a football and I was kicking a can, you know. So um, it's just always been one of those things it just hasn't been too far from my mind, but I do remember those plastic balls. You could kick a drop pun on one side of them, but the other one had the had the rest of the plastic on the other side. If you got stuck on that side, especially if you weren't wearing boots, you knew about it, didn't you? This is the reason why we snap the ball nowadays. All those kids, they were playing with those brown plastic balls that we use, there's no doubt. Uh, tell us a little bit about mum and dad, what they did. Um, obviously, young parents, and then getting you involved with footy and stuff like that. Like... Country way of life, I think, and this is the best thing, and this is the reason why I've moved my family out of the city into in the country, is that uh, it's that community connection. Um, raising clubs, football clubs, sometimes raise the kids in a lot of ways, running around and smelling the liniment and your own little football heroes were actually the blokes that were lining up for your local town team and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. So um, the community helped raise me, there's no doubt about that. So... As I said, yeah, mum was really young and um, my father was a shearer and he was away a fair bit and, and then we had a farm just on the outskirts of town and, uh, yeah, it was all about going into town and uh, and and being involved with footy, getting there at the end, uh, getting there really early and, and staying there all the way until the end and, you know, people just helping out and, and uh, it was sort of one of those things that's really resonated with me. So 
yeah, living a fair chunk of life in, in city and, and different areas, a bit like yourself, Ed, um, I really pined to get back to smaller communities where I really felt connected and uh, you feel like a part of something bigger than yourself, which is such a, such a strong driver for most of us, um, that uh, we wanted to get back and, and where we're currently living in Gippsland, you really feel that. And I think that's incredibly rewarding, not just for myself, but my family as well. Who were your footy heroes growing up? Oh, um, when I was a young fellow, um, I was a North Melbourne fan before. I was sort of became a Bulldogs fan when my uncle uh, coached a side called Tintinia and they were the Bulldogs and they sort of changed from then. That was fairly young. But before that, I was a North Melbourne supporter and loved the Cracker Brothers, Ross Glenn Dinning. They were uh, my three uh, massive uh, uh, footy crushes when I was a young fellow. just loved watching them go about things. Were you lucky enough to get a football jumper, a VFL jumper back in those days? Were you lucky to get one? Because I know I didn't get my first VFL Melbourne jumper till I was about 10. Dad said, nah, too expensive. Nah, you can have the local local club's jumper and that's what you're wearing. That's who you play for. That's who you represent. And I'm like, oh, come on. You know, like give us, it's not even red and blue. It's re- yeah, yellow and black from Baldwin and all that sort of stuff. We don't want that. We want, the, you know, mm. well, what about you? Well, uh, when you, you got your first North jumper, did you get one? No, I didn't get a North yeah. jumper. My first jumper, and this is probably this is the reason why I'm a, well, I'm a doggy supporter. Yeah. It was my first Jumper was when I was asked to be mascot of the Tintinda Football Club in their 82 grand final. Um, and that is actually still in my possession. Oh, so, wow. yeah, and they can still see the. So, my uncle was number 15. I still, you can still see the outline of number 15 on its back. Yeah. And there's not a stitch off it. They made them, they made them good back then. Lace up? No, no, just, uh, just, <laughs> just, the, woolly, just the woolly one with yeah. the big, thick collar. Yes. Yes, yes. So the only reason why I did end up getting a Melbourne jumper is because the neighbour down the road got me a Collingwood jumper for Vic Kick. Yeah. And uh, I had... Well, hey, that was the jumper that I was going to wear, and Dad cracked it. <laughs> he said, no, nah, you're getting a Melbourne jumper now. So it's a good tactic by the neighbours, um, which was good. The move to Sunshine Coast. Um, it's not really an AFL or VFL-dominated area. Um, how'd you cope throwing the ball around? Well, it was interesting. Um, so I didn't know any better, and um, my parents didn't know anyone when we moved up there. So it was kind of like, well, where will we actually get to know people? And, you know, we were football people, so, you know, we went to the Maroochydore Football Club and, uh, and instantly found our own community up there through them. And, um, yeah, and so I was there. And then whenever football was on, um, I was at the football club. Um, same thing from, from the morning to the end. Um, and that was fine. But the funny thing that I found when I started going to school there was that not everyone played football and not everyone was as enthusiastic as I was. <laughs> and, you know, aerial ping pong and these terms that I'd never heard of before. And uh, people used to ostracise you because you, you weren't a rugby league supporter or you weren't in the surf club. So uh, it was weird. Um, but uh, it never really wavered my love for the game, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, but... Uh, at times, actually, at Maroochydore Football Club, especially when I was growing up, I hold very dear. Did it help the tackling? <laughs> um, depends on who you ask. Probably did when I was older. <laughs> I was pretty. I was pretty keen on just getting the ball. Yeah, and running. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, fair enough. It's it's an amazing journey when you have that first sort of inkling and in, in what football clubs are about and things like that. Who were some of your mentors? Who who were the people that were taking you on your pathway and I guess guiding you to go right? This is a game that you're 
not only fall in love with, but maybe build a career with as well, mm. especially in those younger days. Yeah, so there was a couple of there's a couple of people that, that that sort of spring to mind. So I started training with the seniors at Maroochydore when I was 15 years old, and uh, Ian Nankervis was our coach. So um, for the senior coach to be a 300 game VFL player um, in Queensland was was a complete stroke of luck, and and Nackers was a was a fantastic influence on me, and then. I uh, started playing seniors a year after with a with a guy called Neil Burke, who was originally from um, Port Ferry and Warrnambool, uh, and um, he was he was fantastic for me. So he showed real persistence on, um, given I was so young, uh, and kept giving me games of football. And um, we had a captain of our side called Andrew Cadzo, who's gone on to be a legend of Queensland football, um, not only as a player but as a coach and an administrator. And uh, Cads was fantastic for me, and they really encouraged me to take my footy as far as I possibly could. So um, so I did that and that's uh, sort of how the journey took a twist and ended up back down in Victoria. So where did you want to go with your career? I mean, I think, I mean, you deal with teenagers all the time. I'm going, right, this is their dreams. This is the pathway. It was a bit different back then. Um, Teal Cups and things like that. Queensland, I think, I think of time that I've spent up in the Territory opportunity is brilliant right i think if you want to play for the nt thunder uh, as a as a kid you obviously you go through the same rigors and processes but there is that opportunity probably more so if you want to play for vic metro or even vic country for that matter as well did you find that in the queensland system it's funny now i look at it from where i'm sitting now in where there's such a clear pathway if you if you're passionate about football and you show an aptitude for it you just follow the bouncing ball and you end up um with your shot basically um but yeah when i was young it definitely wasn't like that you really had some choices to make and um my father was very hell-bent on me like if you if you're good enough you play for your senior football club and that's pretty much it and so i was very lucky that i had some advocates for me um when it came to representative football because i never played in any development squads Mm. i never traveled to brisbane to play i just actually just played football on the sunshine coast and so um when i played teal cup um I was the only person outside of uh, Brisbane and the Gold Coast to actually play in, that, in those carnivals. And so I was very lucky to actually get my shot, um, given that um, we really didn't, I didn't really, was one of those sort of contrarians and didn't really um, follow the pathway, which, which was just sort of starting to, to spread out. Um, so, yeah, but now I look at it now, like those people don't even get a look in. So, um, and that's probably why... I suppose in a, in a funny roundabout kind of way, we always keep our eyes open down here in Gippsland for, for people who might be playing some good senior football who show an aptitude to actually give them an opportunity at any particular time to come in and, and train with us and, and see how they fit into that talent pathway football. And I guess the prime example is over the last couple of weeks, Ryan Marrick, a perfect example really of, you know, keeping your eyes open, keeping the peripheries open to give kids a chance. Absolutely. So, yeah, he's the first person that sprung to mind for me. So, John Newcomb's probably another one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're not a great 15 or 16 year old footballer. If you start to show aptitude in your teenage years and you, and you show that uh, your form's good enough against men, I think for me that's, that's good enough for us to actually um, throw you into a system where more recruiters get to see you. And, and that's what's happened with Ryan and Joy and, uh, well, geez, look how good Jai's going. And then hopefully Ryan will get his shot in the not-too-distant future yeah. with West Coast as well. Yeah. 
Rhett McLennan's joined us, is talking Gippsland, local voices, local stories, and we're, we're catching up with Rhett and hearing his story, of course. He heads up the, the boys' program here in uh, Gippsland Power and doing some nice things, had a win on the weekend, and yeah, people are smiling, which is good. Um, I guess the transition from junior to senior, we spoke about your dad's input there and he was saying, hey, you've got to do this, this, this. Dads are great, aren't they, sometimes? <laughs> you know, especially that boomer generation. They're just, you know, they're just, you never know what's going on there. But... For you, that makes you leap into senior footy and then you start thinking, well, where do I go from here? How did you start making decisions? Yeah, so um, I probably had an interesting decision to make when I was uh, about 18 years old, so after I'd finished school. So I went pretty well at school and, um, and our family probably hadn't had... We were working class people yeah. and there wasn't, um, and it was during the recession, there wasn't a lot of jobs around. And so I suppose the most the most lucrative and obvious option for me was to actually probably follow academia a little bit and go into tertiary education and had an opportunity to actually go to America um, as an exchange student. And, uh, and my father really pushed me to do that. And I sort of said, well, if you really want me to do it, then I'll go and do it. So I missed another national carnival because of that. And... I actually was playing really good footy and there was a lot of people actually told my father that just let him do what he wants to do and um, an amazing experience. And it's funny that over there, I actually became a special teams coach for a high school gridiron side. And so I obviously knew how to punt a ball, but in regards to place kicking, snapping, any of that, I was just, I had to learn it on the fly. And, uh, and for what I do now in regards to how you teach, I really had a blank canvas. Um, and uh, I was really lucky that the coach actually let me do it and, uh, and trusted me. And uh, for, funnily enough, you know, almost 30 years later, um, that I still think back to some of those lessons and those opportunities that I got as a special teams coach as a teenager in America. And that's really, really helped me in good stead. So um, it's funny how some decisions are, uh, you think at the time, mate, you know, yeah, I wish I had my time again and made that different, but that was really something that was uh, a pivotal time in my life. Was it regretful at the age? Because it sounds now it was not. It's not regretful now because yeah. it has just aided you to where you are now as yeah. a coach and a leader yeah. um, of young men. To at the time going, sigh. Do I really want to do this? You know what I mean. Do I really want to do mm. this? <laughs> How, how were you in at that stage of making that decision? Because the kids that you deal with day in, day out, sometimes have to make it. There are going to be those that might be a top 10, might be a top 70, mm. might not get drafted at all, mm. or might get picked up mid-seasons and all that sort of stuff. Mm. They had to make the same decision you did. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it, uh, they're, they're different decisions, but they're so yeah. similar in the yeah. same way. So. Yeah, 100%. I was the same at the time. I thought, oh, I don't want to do this, um, but I'll do it. Um, and then who knows what actually comes of it. Um, because I suppose with myself and my football, I was pretty much the same size as what I was then as I am now. Um, very little difference. And uh, so for those developed type bodies, your window is probably pretty small because um, a lot of recruiters go, oh, where's, where's a guy like that? Where's his upside? So... Um, so when I came back and, and started playing VFL and got some injuries and, um, and it probably didn't pan out that way, um, I just got back to the love of actually playing football. So in, in, the, in the footy sides that I played with and, and was playing assistant coaching and, uh, 
and uh, and I think that shouldn't be lost on our players as well is that if it doesn't necessarily work out with you exactly the way that it's always sort of mapped out in your younger years mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that footy's done and dusted for you and it's and it's a second hand kind of an experience because some of the things that I've learnt at country and suburban football clubs has just been absolutely invaluable for but not just footy, but life. Hope you're enjoying today's episode of Talking Gippsland with Rep McLennan. In our next episode, we head out to Phillip Island and check out the music scene at Dimples Lounge Bar. It's all about respect. Respect the venue, respect the people in it, uh, respect the musicians, the music, and yeah, and then respect yourself, right? Because that's what it ultimately focuses in as well. And so many people just walking out, just smiling. That's, that's what you want. Yeah, that's what it is. Looking forward to having a yarn with Mark Cheklikov of Dimples Lounge Bar in our next episode of Talking Gippsland. Now back to our chat with Rhett McLennan. It's something about coaching where you see, you're teaching, you're educating players and then all of a sudden you see it click out on the field or a moment where one of the kids come back up to you and just go, hey, you're having an impact on my life or a thank you or something like that. Was there a moment for you where it's just gone, yeah, this is this is going to be 20 years in Gippsland. This is going to be where I want to be. This is where I want to start a family. This is where this is who I want to be with. And this is the journey where I want to be on in coaching. Mm. Uh, I first started playing football for Lean Gather in 2000 and, uh, and this is where my, my wife's originally from and so that obviously helps... Um, have those family ties to, towards Gippsland, but um, it's probably not so much the external satisfaction, it's more the internal satisfaction yeah. from helping people. So just the, the fact that you're helping people and it doesn't necessarily need to be reciprocated, but just the enjoyment of the process of, of just trying to help people and make them better um, is where I get my satisfaction from. Um, if you get negative responses, then I suppose that's a different story, but um, if you see progression, then that's probably a bit of a, a validation that you're on the right path. So um, that's what's made me continue actually uh, on this journey now for from a coaching perspective going on 21 years. Yeah, yeah. 21 years. It's mm. pretty cool, isn't it? Mm. At a high level. Gippsland Power, how'd it come up? So... At the end of 2014, I was starting to get a bit old and crusty, I must admit, as a footballer. So um, I've always been a fitness fanatic and um, we had a new coach at Lean Gather and he, he said, oh, you, you know, you're nice and fit, let's um, let's roll you back into the midfield, old man. And so I started so I started back there and uh, I must admit, I was probably getting a little bit bored as a key defender and um, we started playing the midfield and then I quickly found out that um, I was never quick at the best of times, but it was definitely not getting any quicker <laughs> That's for sure. So, um, so I'm thinking, well, maybe it might be time for me to start transitioning out and actually do just some more coaching. And then there was, um, I suppose, there's a bit of navel gazing for me of, of where would I like to coach and, and where could I get the the greatest experience. And I actually thought about Gippsland Power, and so I approached uh, Lee Brown, who's the coach at the time, and, and Peter Francis, and and wasn't sure whether there was any coaching uh, opportunities around, but just uh, came in and sat down with them and, and just said, listen, I'm really keen to help out in any possible way. And uh, um, and I'm probably one of a very, very long list of people that uh, Peter Francis has helped along the way in Gippsland. And uh, he, was, um, he was incredibly influential on me and, and kept giving me opportunities. And Lee Brown was, was the same as well. Um, a great leader, a young man, and a, and a very, very smart football brain. And um, 
I think uh, the guys at Hayfield are so lucky to have yeah. someone like him um, coaching uh, country footy. Um, so, yeah, that, they've been huge influences um, to give me the opportunities that I've got at the moment. I think many people think of the Gippsland football, hard, tough, running ability, generally tall if you're out in East Gippsland. <laughs> there's there's many different facets here, but I think what you're going to get is you're going to get a great great contest with whatever Gippsland football gets produced, they're going to give their all. Is that what you pride yourself on? Is that is that the ethos that you're trying to teach? Because you've got well-rounded players, you've got every club has a theme. But I guess when you're when the mums and dads come in here and they come into your program for the first time, what are you promising them? What are you saying at the end of this journey, whether they get drafted or not, they're going to be what? So I think what we really our goal is is for for them to be better people yeah. when they come out. Um, and I think that's probably thrown around um, in most organisations, especially sporting organisations, that you're trying to develop not just the footballer or the athlete, but you're trying to develop the person as well. But we really like to think we live it. So there's a there's a key story that's actually driving um, our culture this year, and it was based on a conversation that I'd actually had with an opposition coach who described our football club as someone who they considered hard, proud, connected, and whenever they looked at uh, how they can make their program better, they always asked the question, how did Gippsland Power do it? And that's the story that, that we hold very close to us. And it's interesting is that uh, after a couple of weeks, we probably thought we were probably straying away from that. And so we've had some signs made up with that story on it. And uh, after last week, I said, listen, guys, I'm going to take these signs away. And uh, if we go back to what this story is about and we exhibit some of the traits that, that were in this story, um, then I'll bring these signs back. And, you know, funnily enough, uh, uh, if you if you watch our, watch our video of uh, yesterday's game, the, the boys, especially for the first half and last quarter, played like absolute boys possessed. Um, and they won those signs back. So hopefully um, that when parents see us play, that they actually see that. They see a, a proud, connected football club. It's not just a representative side that rolls out here and then they go back to the local clubs. It's actually somewhere that uh, a player feels like it's comfortable, it's it's their house, they belong, and um, they can get connected to not just their teammates but the staff and the people around the club as well. How are you finding uh, the relationships, obviously, with the parents? That's your first inaugural relationship there and creating a pathway for these kids, but... Also the clubs, and I think you and I have had a few chats about this uh, off air and um, spoken about how important that relationship is from a local club standpoint and that you work with and not against. And and various clubs that compete at the underage level have sort of had their tits for tats. I know up in the Northern Territory, the Thunder and St Mary's were going toe-to-toe with one another and... Kids want to play senior footy for St Mary's and all the Wanderers and stuff like that instead of playing in the Thunder programs. How do you go about maintaining that and, and really building that that hearty connection that you have? Because there's so many different leagues here in Gippsland, so many different politics going on in the Gippsland, and then all of a sudden, hang on, you're taking our best young player and he's off and running. What's going on? So I must admit, I reckon a lot of the hard yards were done before I turned up. So if I look at the coaches that are coaching most of the senior football clubs around our area, they actually have been in either our football club or similar 
TAC Cup clubs as well. So there's a little bit of an understanding of actually what the programs are about. Um, And I must admit, um, I think our clubs are super in regards to the support that they actually provide us, um, the feedback that they provide us for the when the boys aren't playing uh, and they're playing for them and just where they think they should be playing and um, where where can we help. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't speak more highly enough of our football clubs because it's funny, the cut and thrust of the game, uh, when you go and watch a game on a sad day and it's, you know, you, you hear it, you don't hear it less now, but you hear it, oh, you know, we owe these blokes or we hate these guys. This is an intense rivalry. <coughs> but when... It's during the week. A lot of them are pulling in the same direction. Mm. Um, they're sympathetic. They understand where each other's coming from. So I think that coaching and administration has actually has actually come a long way in football is that they understand they're all in it together. Um, they understand that, especially in Gippsland and football clubs, that you're trying, to, you're trying to solidify the community. It's not just about the football club. And I think almost all football clubs understand that. And if they don't have that, they're trying desperately hard to regain that. So um, we mustn't lose sight that that's an extremely important part of communities and that we don't want to step on anybody's toes in that. And so our football programs and talent pathway programs are very different is that it's more individual focused and it's not so much about winning, but we've got to actually provide some leeway for clubs to be able to actually have that understanding that, you know, player X is still part of our football club and we should never lose sight of that. Um, we may have been guilty of that in the past, but it's definitely a conscious effort that uh, that Ryan Marrick goes to West Coast and he's not a Gippsland Power player. He's a Drew Football Club player yeah. who played some games at Gippsland Power. That's right. So we don't want to lose that fact. Yeah. Women's football. Uh, what an impact it's had over the last seven or eight years, really, just media money starting to come through. Finally, you have to pay to go in and see female games. But Pathway, I think from a local club standpoint, I've spoken to a whole range of local clubs that are really struggling when it comes to a facility situation and ground situation. I know when we came in here for our chat, we are talking about the wonderful facility you got here with, which is perfect size ground for youth girls leagues and, and things like that. But it's a real struggle to find a availability of grounds, the right facilities for change rooms and things like that. How are you guys going with that? Because you get some of the best young female talent coming through your system as well. They must walk in here and just go, wow, wee, this is hunky-dory, isn't it? This is this is paradise compared to, well, some of the paddocks that they're playing in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's I think it's really difficult for across the across the board for for female um, sport, not just female football, in regards to this generation of of athletes playing AFL football are really the trailblazers for what's probably yeah. ahead. And so there's hopefully going to be a process. There seems to be a clear path and direction ahead from the AFL to really keep putting resources into it. Um, I don't think that uh, anybody's satisfied with where it's at at the moment, but they do know that there's incentives for, you know, unisex change room facilities and, um, and making sure there's incentives for some of the, the girls to continue to play, you know. But it's a it's a competing landscape, you know. I really feel for some of our girls um, because 
they're multi-sport players. Um, we're really, really lucky in that football for boys, um, it's for most people, it's the sport that they want to play eventually, even though they play a lot of footy and cricket. Um, you'll lose them occasionally to other sports, but most of them will actually come to football. Um, but with female football, it's not. It's probably not quite there yet. And then some of the girls just, they find footy so much fun and you see it when you actually coach them and you watch them play football. Um, and it, it, it's the true joy of actually playing the sport that you, you see on their faces. Um, you know, I two years coaching the girls and we didn't have a lot of success, but it was just amazing and how much they enjoyed themselves. They could get beaten by 100 points and 10 seconds after the sirens rung, they got a smile on their face thinking about that goal they nearly kicked. Um, so... I think it's it's that joy and that um, that embracement of of being able to play that hopefully the facilities and the funding actually catch up with, so that it is sort of one of those first choice sports um, for grassroots um, footballers because um, yeah you can identify the athletes and the and the talented ones that you want to get in the top end and the pointy end of it, but it's really going to be the people who just love the game who find it easy to play um, and there's a there's a team close by that they can play for that sometimes is difficult in Gippsland. So, um, yeah, let's just hope it continues to evolve in a positive way. Yeah, no doubt about that. And just the one percenters, you know, just availability, ground availability or eight o'clock games and things like that, you know, these things just need to be sorted out just a little bit. Um, is your biggest thrill draft night? Is that your biggest thrill? What, what's your biggest thrill as a coach? Obviously, it's not coding because um, that would <laughs> be a nice... I think coding, for me, it's editing in radio, but uh, for co- coding would probably do a few people's head in. But is, is it draft night? Is that the night that you just look forward to most or is it, or is it just simply graduation? I'm sure you have a graduation for, for the top-end players and all that sort of top-age players, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very boring answer, Ed, but... I don't like life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the process and the grind is actually uh, the journey. morbidly uh, what I enjoy. <laughs> so it's actually coming in here and, and sitting in front of the computer and, and programming training and looking Oh, it at, is coding. Oh, all right. <laughs> it, it, it's, looking at, it's, looking at, it's looking at how we can actually make the kids better and then some of it coming to fruition then sometimes it doesn't and then so that actually provides another problem and then you have to actually work your way through that so it's actually the problem solving process that i really really like nuts and bolts this is the academic you were talking about yes this is the like the nutty stuff that you see on my whiteboard here that that, it's all that yeah um which is yeah it's it's weird i mean don't get me wrong draft night's really good and, and when we and when we're successful it's really good um, but it's even sometimes the conversations that you'll have when you bump into some of the ex-players down the street who um, you can have a good yak to and, and reconnect with. And that comes back to, you know, that stuff we were talking about, about how football clubs are great connectors and um, how they provide great arms to, to, put, um, to put around individuals within communities. So, yeah, it still comes back to that stuff. It's not necessarily results. It's the process of actually getting to the results that's um, that's the real joy of it. How long do you want to do it for? We saw Damien Hardwick hang up 
uh, the coaching whistle a couple of weeks ago with Richmond. Uh, highly successful uh, period over the last six years. It was tough at the start for him, but that was that's at the highest level, mm. and that, I think it chewed him out around about thirteen years. Mm. For you, you've been doing it for twenty. Uh, you're doing this role currently. Do you aspire? To go to another level, are you happy where you are? Do you do you sort of reassess after each year? Because I I know you've done some coaching workshops with Hawthorne in the past and things like that. Is where do you see yourself going? Oh, it's a question I get asked a fair bit at the moment because once you so this is my ninth year actually at this football club, my fifth year as head coach. Yeah, and so it's like, oh, what's next? And I, you know, I love my life too much yeah. for me to think about that, Ed. So. Love living in Lee and Gatha. Uh, love being part of the wider Gippsland community. Uh, love coming here. I love the kids that I coach. I love the people that I work with. But I know it can't last forever. So it's about embracing what I've got now and uh, and really enjoying it for what it is and the opportunities that actually working within this organisation and the larger AFL landscape actually provides and then see where it rolls after that. So... Um, I'm definitely not one of these ambitious people that says, listen, I want to be an AFL head coach. Um, but um, whatever opportunities come after this, um, we'll just have to weigh it up. But I suppose the first things first is that the reason that we live in Gippsland is because it's because of family and it's because of not just me, but it's of the other three most important people in my life, which is my wife and two children. And so that'll never... Um, come in front of what um, what my career actually has in store. So um, it probably flies in the face of a lot of people in um, high AFL jobs, which I don't begrudge them one second. That's just what my principles are and my values. So whether that hamstrings me um, going further, to be honest, I really don't care. So um, whatever happens, happens is is the short answer to that, Ed. <laughs> well, it sounds like Gippsland's got you for a while. Uh, we've got you until people don't want you. Pretty um, much, yeah. <laughs> which, who which knows is, how long that could be? Well, who knows how long this podcast is going to go for? Your beautiful wife and kids, do they want your, their weekends with Dad? Now, you grew up in football. Football was ingrained with you straight away, all that sort of stuff. Did they have a similar way of life in that, right, football's given to them straight away and this is how life is, you're down at the club, this is what it's going to be like? Is is that how you chose your partner in crime? Is that what you wanted for your kids? Short answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that is our life. Yeah. Um, that is our life. So for me, it's, it's here um, with a little bit of um, stuff that I connect back with that, at Lane Gather. Um, but for my wife, she's the president of the netball club. Uh, for my daughter, she works in B grade and she's the assistant coach of the under 13s. For my son, he's the, he plays in the fourths. And uh, yeah, and the footy club is, is what we do during wintertime. And when it's summertime, um, my son plays cricket. Um, and I like going down and, and watching uh, Lane Gather Town go about their business. And um, my daughter and I love going surfing and uh, yeah, so it's it's just all that lifestyle mm. that, that Gippsland actually provides, Ed. You know, people don't think about, I think Gippsland when they think about, um, they think about um, what, it, what the environment can actually provide you. But um, it's such a diamond in the rough when you think about Australia um, of what um, Gippsland is, you know. Where I live, it's an hour and a half to the snow and it's 15 minutes to the beach. 
and you can access them 365 days a year whether it's fantastic hiking or it's um or it's surfing all year round now it's just a fantastic place to be it's been great to catch up with you today talk about your love of footy i'll let you get back to your coding and uh, your meditation or whatever you're doing <laughs> um, <laughs> and all the best for this season as well i know you've got a unique group this year as well a young youthful group as well that have got uh, their own dreams and Every year must be different and what comes your way. Um, but all the best to the boys program and Nathan with the girls here at Triple M. As you know, we're right behind you and we wish you all the best. Fantastic, Ed. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and thank you very much for your support. Hope you've enjoyed our footy chat with Rep McLennan, of course, a Lee and Gatha local and also loving every minute of heading up the boys program at Gippsland Power. All the best to those youngsters on their dreams of playing at the highest level. Next week, we head out to Phillip Island and enjoy some of the wonderful music that is on offer at Dimples Lounge Bar. Music connects people. So that was our motto, you know, and we thought Dimples Lounge Bar, where music connects us. And it was about where we would like to go loving live music, those people who had the same sort of thoughts as we did, uh, and we did our designs, and that's where we put the stage right at the, the front of the venue, so out on the street, so people, oh, live music. And even if they weren't seeing the memes or the advertising or the posters, they could actually physically hear it or see it, particularly as they were walking by, and then be attracted to come inside. We're getting our groove on in our next episode of Talking Gippsland. Hope you can join us as we discuss all things music at Dimples Lounge Bar on Talking Gippsland. Catch you soon. A listener production.